Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. It is Memorial Day. It is Selection Monday. It is May 27. Whatever you want to call it, we now have uh, the NCAA's official Field of 64, we're no longer speculating about who's in and who's out. Ray Tanner, the selection committee, told us all um, on uh, on Monday afternoon here. And we, we now have the path to Omaha for all 64 teams that made it. And that is what we are going to talk about today. We're going to get into each one of these regions and uh, you know just kind of dive into the bracket now that we finally have it. So to help me do that... Uh, we have Dave Serrano and Joe Healy with us. How's it going, you guys? Great to be back, Teddy. This is an exciting time and uh, a lot of good baseball ahead of us. Yeah, going to be a fun podcast. There's nothing better than getting that fresh field of 64. It's uh, you know kind of a cool deal when you when you first lay eyes on it and get to kind of uh, you know play it out in your head a little bit. And I suppose that's what we're going to do here. It's going to be a fun podcast, but I presume a little bit of a lengthy one. Yes. Uh, so speaking of that, um, I cannot guarantee right now that this is what's going to happen, but I think this is what's going to happen is that this is actually two podcasts. So you are listening to part one and part two will uh, will follow it right there in your your podcasting queue. So this is a good time to remind you to be subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app so that if I do randomly break this uh, lawn podcast into two parts, you will have them both right there for you, and you don't have to wonder what's happened or where's the link to the other one. It'll just be right there in your phone. So make sure you're subscribed while you're doing that. If you have if you have the chance, if you could uh, leave us a, a rating or a review, that definitely helps other people to find the podcast, and it lets us know uh, what you like, what you don't like. So make sure you're subscribed, and if you have a chance, uh, click that fifth star and and drop that rating for us there uh, on your favorite podcasting app. So before we get into uh, this field analysis uh, going region by region, I did want to just kind of talk about the field as a whole for a second. You Last night, on Sunday night, they released the host sites. There was, I guess, one surprise in that, in that Ole Miss was given a host despite not having a top 20 RPI. The Rebels had a really good week at the SEC tournament. They reached the the finals where they lost to Vanderbilt on a walk-off, and they have played 39 games against top 50 opposition, and they went 20 and 19 in those games. That is no team has played more top 50 games than Ole Miss has, and it seemed like that really carried the day for them. Uh, but that was the surprise last night was that Ole Miss hosted over the likes of Miami or NC State. Suppose A&M was still kind of in that conversation, but I think Ole Miss had kind of put themselves ahead of A&M with that run in Hoover. Uh, so Ole Miss getting the the nod over the ACC teams was a little bit of a surprise there on Sunday night. And it kind of foreshadowed some of the surprises of Monday. Um, so then ahead of the the full field announcement for whatever reason, the NCAA does this thing where they release the top four seeds, but don't actually tell you what order they're in. And they told us that Georgia tech was going to be a top four overall seed. Uh, The yellow jackets have been very difficult for me to nail down what their overall seeding should be over the last month. And last night I definitely did not have them as a top four overall seed. Uh, So that was a bit of a surprise. And then as the field gets announced, we had uh, the, the one surprise was that TCU got an at-large bid. That is a team that last night, uh, we had UCF getting that spot. We talked a lot about that last spot, uh, whether it would be UCF, Houston, Arizona, BYU, uh, UCI. We, we really didn't talk about TCU at all. And ultimately, that is where the committee went. And Ray Tanner has given his explanation. Um, 
I don't know that it was the most satisfying of explanations, but I think when you look at it, uh, what it really happened there was that TCU has 12 top 50 wins. They're 12 and 14 against top 50 competition. And that is more than any of these other bubble teams we're talking about. And if you want to extend it to top 100, they have 19 top 100 wins. And again, that is still more than any of these other bubble teams we're talking about. And it seems like they were rewarded for that, in addition to their run to the Big 12 tournament semifinals. Um, otherwise, here at Baseball America, we went 63 for 64 on our projections for the third year in a row. Uh, so pretty happy to keep that streak alive. One of these years, we're going to get 64 for 64. But it was not this year. Uh, so those were kind of my impressions from the overall field. Uh, obviously, if we got 63 for 64, I'm not seeing too many other you know big stress points. Florida gets in at 13 and 17 in the SEC, 13 and 18, including the SEC tournament. Um, but we had felt like that was happening uh, for the better part of a week now. Um, but guys, what, what what kind of stood out to you, Dave? I know that you uh, you definitely had some thoughts on on TCU's inclusion. Well, I'll I'll start out by saying. I know the committee has an extremely difficult task each and every year. And I commend all the, the time that that committee puts into, because it just doesn't start this weekend. I'm sure they have many conference calls throughout the year as they're plotting towards this, this weekend and making the, the choices for selection Monday. Uh, this is my opinion, but I, uh, I just, I feel they, I feel they, they made a mistake on the TCU uh, inclusion. I mean, and I have relationships, great relationships, former player, best friend um, uh, that are on the staff at TCU. And, and over the course of many years, they've had a lot of success. I just, for me, it's hard for me to justify how they get, get in over some other teams. And um, the thing for me, as many years as I've been in the sport and now following the sport, um, I just wish the committee, and I know the committee changes year to year, would have some consistency to what their criteria is for teams getting in. Um, you know, the, the strong continue to get stronger. As, as I could be off a little bit, but I think out of the 33 at-large uh, spots that were available, 28 of them came from Power 5 conferences. And I get it. That's reality of today's world of college baseball. Um, I do feel bad for the teams that aren't in the Power 5 conference because I think even though some could be looked down upon as the competition from top to bottom isn't as good, there still is very good baseball in those conferences. And there was, there was the uh, three teams, Texas State, BYU, and VCU, that won the regular season conference uh, overall. And we talked about that a lot last week and how much I respect after the course of your schedule is over, that if you're the champion, that's hard to take that away because of a tournament and someone getting hot in the weekend over the course of a week. But those three are left out of the are left out of the field, and they were the champions after the course of the the whole conference season. So the one for me that is just and maybe it's close to home, Teddy, and and the fact that I coach there and the whole staff is former uh, players of mine. But the UCI really, uh, and there's other teams too. I already brought up the three already. UCF is a school, Houston, Arizona. But UCI is just is baffling. And I said this off the air before we went on. If I would have said to anybody uh, this past summer before this season started, that because I had a conversation with Benny Orloff going into his first season as a head coach, and he told me that his non-conference games were weekend series against Washington, Rice, Missouri State, St. John's, Washington State, and Iowa. And they're playing Michigan in the middle of the week. They're playing UCLA twice. And they're playing Cal State Fullerton in the midweek game. And obviously, Benny probably did the schedule with the help of Coach Gillespie when he was coaching there. And that schedule was probably made two or three years ago when five of those schools in their weekend series were regional teams. Well, nobody could, could look into the crystal ball and know that many of those teams were going to have down years which affected them. So the common opponent of their record affected them as a team. They, they win 37 games overall. They win 13 of 15 series over the course of the season. They sweep seven series and they're not even, they're not even Teddy in the, they're not even in talked about in the, the discussion of 64, in my opinion. I, 
And I just think for the Big West that I've spent many years of my career, I think it's wrong. And I think it's wrong for many other schools, too. I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, one of the justification was TCU is playing good baseball at the end of the year and they're getting healthy. Well, what about the University of Arizona? I don't know if anyone was playing as good as baseball as University of Arizona over the, the course of the last five weeks. And there's many other schools that, that I've talked about that, that are playing good baseball, too. So I just don't – I didn't like the reasoning for it, and I just feel that that was the – I thought the committee nailed it on many – and I think this was a little bit of an easier year to, to, to get the, to the 64. There wasn't as much on the outside of the bubble. The bubble did get bigger as the, as the tournaments were going. But I thought they did a great job. But I just was confused by the reasoning of TCU. And again, congratulations to TCU. It's a storied program over the last 10 years. Jim Schlossnagel does a great job. His staff does a great job. I just feel there's some deserving teams, some deserving coaches that got shortchanged because of the inclusion of them into the region. Yeah, I mean, the that's an, a good point there about how kind of easy this was. Like, I'm very happy that we got 63 for 64. But after what happened yesterday in, when you had Ohio State, Cincinnati, and Southern Miss all win their conference tournaments, um, Southern Miss may or may not have been in already, but things really, it, it basically came down to one team. And, you know, I that that's what, there were so many teams that you could have looked at for that one spot. And it's kind of crazy to me that, Irvine didn't even show on the committee's official last four in or last or first four out rather. You know, I, I, I was kind of surprised by that. And, and so it was an interesting decision, obviously. And we'll see a, the, 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 the point, the larger point about the power five conferences and, and how many bids they're getting. That's true in every sport. Now um, you see it get talked about a fair amount of basketball and I mean, it, it's a tough reality for a lot of these leagues that, you know, that just by virtue of not being in the power five, it becomes just that much harder to get at large bids. And part of the reason why their, their bid numbers have gone up, obviously, is their leagues have just gotten bigger in the last decade. But uh, there's more going on to it than that. And it's uh, it, it's kind of an unfortunate reality across the college sports landscape. Uh, Joe, what about your uh, your overall thoughts? All that time that you and I spent debating the merits of Mizzou and Houston and UCF and (laughs) BYU and tying ourselves in knots at like 3.30 in the morning last week. Um, I can't even tell you. Like I went around and around with Joe, Arizona, Houston, UCF on whatever night that was, like Saturday night. And it's a super fascinating case to like those. They all eat each other's tail, basically. But Totally wasted. You're right, Joe. <laughs> so anyway, so I think of that. Um, and look, the, the the thing about it is, is TCU was a big surprise. And but we talked about this off air. Like you can you can defend it in a lot of different ways. I mean, they they had the 12 wins against the RPI top 50, and really what kind of kept them from being an at large team coming into the week at the Big 12 tournament was the RPI. And you know because Oklahoma had a similar case in a lot of ways, but TCU's was better, kind of with the exception of that RPI. They were both teams that finished 11 and 13 in the Big 12 in the regular season. And I think, you know, we all kind of agree that sometimes the RPI can be a flawed thing. So um, so from that standpoint, if you look at it and you say, well, if you if that RPI was a little bit higher at the beginning of the week, they would have been right there. And so them getting included wouldn't have been um, seen as, as too much of a surprise or, as some people have said, indefensible. So I think you can defend it. I'm not I don't buy into the they're getting healthier thing as much. Uh, Jared Janzak, yes, he looked outstanding at the Big 12 tournament. I saw it with my own eyes. He kind of looked, I mean, he struck out the first eight batters of the game. So there you go. I mean, obviously that is a thing. Um, but outside of that, they're still pretty beat up. So when when we say they're getting healthier, it kind of feels like it's really Jared Janzak getting better. And perhaps there's a guy or two who's on the mend who they expect back for regionals. I, I'm not 100% sure on that. But uh, for the most part, that's still a little bit of a beat up team. So um, I'm not saying that isn't a reason, but I, it was kind of one of the first things thrown out there as a reason why TCU got into the field. And I, I'm just not sure it's really, uh, I, I'm not sure I buy it as a tipping point reason why they got in over others. I think those reasons were out there, but they weren't some of the primary reasons given. It's obviously a tough job that, that Ray Tanner has to go on TV afterwards, uh, and, and explain it, especially when he's, uh, his earpiece is falling out. Um, that was uh, kind of a kind of a funny moment on the selection show is 
uh, his his earpiece falls out. But you know, it, it's it's a tough job, and he's been doing this. Uh, this was his fourth year on the committee. The second year as a chair, and overall, I mean, it, obviously, it's it's incredible for baseball that that Ray Tanner has been willing to do this for four years, and especially to be chairman for two. Um, I think it's it's been a big boost to the game, and we're gonna miss him next year when he's not the chairman. But yeah, I mean, right now, obviously, it's uh, you know they have a hard job, and we can sit here and, and bane on them for. Georgia Tech is the number three overall seed and, you know, TCU getting in or, or whatever. But ultimately, for the most part, I think the the bracket is a pretty good bracket. And it's the bracket that we have now, regardless of what you think about it. So that's that's kind of where we're at for the next month um, is is working our way through this bracket, which is what we are going to do right now. Again, region by region with the number one overall seed. UCLA in Los Angeles, they have Baylor, Loyola Marymount, and Nebraska Omaha. This is Nebraska Omaha's first ever trip to regionals. And uh, what a trip it'll be having to face the number one overall seed in UCLA. Uh, it's an interesting uh, group in here. You have Baylor coming in, um, going going back west. This is now the second year in a row Baylor's been sent west for regionals to California. Uh, this one a little closer to Steve Rodriguez's old stomping grounds at Pepperdine than last year when they were in Stanford. And then LMU, obviously, uh, right down the street from UCLA. No one in SoCal tell me it's not right down the street. I, it's fine. I, it's going to be an interesting regional, I think, for UCLA, but a f- completely manageable one. Uh, Baylor has stumbled a little bit here in the, the last month. Um, they're just 2-5 and five now in their last seven games. And... Uh, LMU lost twice to UCLA in midweeks, and so they're gonna. It's gonna be a step up to deal then with UCLA's weekends uh, pitching, and of course Nebraska Omaha. They did win a game on opening weekend at USC, but this is kind of a whole different ball of wax. No one there has experience in regionals, and again they're facing the best team in the country. Um, Dave, what what do you make of this uh, this regional for UCLA and? Is there anyone that can really challenge the Bruins this weekend? Well, I think it's a it's a very interesting regional. Um, like you said, Baylor's going back out west again. Um, obviously, they have a good team, but again, going back to the beat up, they're they're a beat up team. Uh, Loyola Marymount's a little scary in this one because I like their weekend pitching, and they did a great job in the WCC tournament. They they pitched extremely well and played great defense. They're not a very offensive team, and that's going to be hard to keep up with the likes of UCLA. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what John does, what Coach Savage does with his pitching in game one, if he holds back Garcia and goes a little bit more down the line to, to line it up against Baylor, the winner of the Baylor-Loyola um, winner. But um, uh, it'll be a – I think it's a, it's a good regional, but it's a regional that I believe that uh, UCLA is going to be tough to beat. Yeah, I'm kind of with Dave. I mean, UCLA, the prohibitive favorite out here. A couple of things to – to watch for one is that uh, first of all, shouts to to Omaha and, and Evan Porter uh, getting it done. Not only winning the regular season, but then taking down Oral Roberts in that Summit League tournament. Not an easy thing to do, given the way ORU plays there. Also, you know, ORU forced a deciding game in that re- in that uh, excuse me in that conference tournament, and it, it kind of felt a little bit inevitable that oh, okay, Oral Roberts is going to win this thing after all. But no, they held strong and. And they got it done. So for shouts to them in what has not been an easy season, go back and I, I'll, maybe I'll send it out this afternoon on Twitter or something. But they uh, they they dealt with a lot scheduling early this season, playing games at high school fields, sometimes playing at three different fields for three games in a weekend series, uh, and they kind of fought through all that. So kudos to them. And look out, um, Peyton Kinney is the name of their staff ace. Uh, One sixty five ERA this year in sixteen starts. Uh, 181 opponent batting average. Obviously, he's going into uh, the deep end here with the UCLA offense, but uh, I'll be interested to see how he handles uh, that UCLA lineup. And um, the thing you can say about Baylor is that this is a really old team. One of the coaches of the Big 12 tournament, and I'm not playing coy, I just forget who, um, you know, mentioned that they remind them of one of those college basketball teams that doesn't do a lot of the one-and-done thing. And so you've got a really veteran team that's just not going to beat themselves, not going to be awed by the situation. That's kind of what Baylor is, uh, just a really old team. Uh, that kind of knows who they are, and they have been beat up, particularly on the pitching staff. Um, but they kind of keep powering through it. So I, I would be very surprised, um, you know, if they're not competitive in this regional, even against uh, the big name in UCLA. 
So opposite UCLA, um, you have Oregon State, and I'm sure if I go looking for it, I can find angry West Coast fans about those two schools being matched up in a potential super regional. Uh, interesting fact about this bracket, there are five potential super regional matchups. If the seeds were to hold where they would be in conference uh, supers, we did not see that many of that a year ago. Uh, obviously, now that they're seeding one through 16, that is A, possible, and B, just kind of a matter of how they seed these teams. I don't think they went looking for these kinds of matchups. I, I do think that they just happened. And uh, in this case, Oregon State lost last week uh, or on the final weekend of the regular season a series to USC, and uh, that really dropped them down the hosting list. They, they had been much closer to, to 10 or so most of the last month, but that, that loss to, to USC kind of cratered their RPI, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but they hang on and they host, and they will welcome in Creighton, uh, which won the Big East, both regular season and Big East tournament. Michigan, uh, which finished second in the Big Ten. And Cincinnati, which, uh, as I mentioned, stole someone's bid yesterday when they won the American tournament. And they absolutely hammered UConn in the championship game. It was 22-5. to 5. Uh, The American actually has a mercy rule on travel days during the regular season, but that apparently was not in effect yesterday in the championship game. And uh, Cincinnati did an absolute number on, on, on UConn there. Uh, I, I think in this regional, it's, it's kind of an interesting group in here. Uh, Oregon state gets none of the West coast schools. You have basically a Midwest regional hosted by Oregon state. Uh, Creighton is a pretty interesting team to have to be matched up against here. They're a very powerful group. They hit a ton of home runs. They, they've got they've got some big bats in that lineup, and they play in a bigger stadium. So the the fact that they're going to Goss, I don't think is really going to affect them uh, too much in that regard. But they hit six home runs uh, in a win against St. John's in the the Big East tournament, and um, they they really did a number there with the power. I, I think it's going to have to be a little bit of a different story. Uh, in Corvallis this weekend. Michigan has kind of backed up over the last uh, several weeks, but remains dangerous. And with that one-two punch of Tommy Henry and Carl Kaufman, the front of the rotation, um, you know, they pretty easily could be in the mix here to win the first two games. You know, they're, they're going to have to get it done, but th- those two guys are definitely going to give them a chance. And then Cincinnati is absolutely really turned their season around in the second half. Uh, they started very poorly. Uh, they were one and nine, I believe, out of the gate, and just ten and sixteen after March. Uh, they end up with thirty wins, though, so that that gives you a an indication of how how well they have come on here in the second half. And then they swept through the American tournament, so they're they're coming in with some momentum. Oregon State does not have much momentum. Uh, Joe, are the Beavers primed for an upset? I think certainly the opportunity is there, especially. I mean, they really did not. Well, anybody would not have wanted to see Michigan pop up as a three there because that team is far more talented than your average three seed. You know, they had a chance this year to kind of be this year's Minnesota. Uh, Didn't quite get there. They were a little bit inconsistent throughout the season. Felt like things never really clicked. And you just wonder if, uh, you know, this is kind of a necessary reset for this team to say, like, you know, things really didn't go the way we hoped they would throughout the regular season, but we're still here and we still have still have this opportunity in front of us. So I. You know, that's that's just a really dangerous team that, that I, um, you know, we'll see whenever we talk about picks. But, you know, I might that might be a team, a three seed I pull the trigger on with Michigan because I really think that talent that talent is in there uh, to pull the upset here, especially with with Oregon State maybe limping a little bit down the stretch. You know, the other thing I noticed with we just talked about Nebraska Omaha and we have Creighton as a two. I'm not sure if I this is a side note. I'm not sure if I would have liked it or disliked it had because Creighton's a two, Nebraska's a three and Nebraska Omaha's a four. They could have put them all in the same plane and sent them somewhere. And I'm not sure if I would have liked that or disliked that, but it certainly would have been interesting. But uh, so I guess kudos to the committee for sending them three different places, I guess. So, um, but anyway, I thought Omaha being paired with Creighton was the most absolute lock in this field. So I am, I'm very surprised that they're in different spots. Yeah, it was just kind of a kind of an interesting little travel thing there. But but anyway, circling back, I so Michigan is the team I'm looking for here, and that's no disrespect to Creighton. I mean, obviously Jake Holton, incredible year, Big East Player of the Year, Will Robertson, 
uh, is a big name there too. I think they have like 27 of the team's 60 home runs. So those two guys, really powerful bats there. So they can make some noise as well. But I think Michigan is the team to circle here because it would not surprise me for them to come out and just play really, really well this weekend and win the whole thing. Dave, uh, we've got Oregon State defending national champs. Do you think anyone has a chance to to pull the upset here? I'm going to repeat your words from earlier, Teddy, when you said interesting bracket. It's almost like, for me, the committee said, okay, we're going to take the national champs and their bra- their region, and we're going to keep it empty, and the, whatever three teams are left that we need to put somewhere, <laughs> we're going to send them. Because it is a very unusual bracket for a West Coast team. Um, and it, like you said, it's almost like a Midwest bracket being played on the West Coast. I think, and I haven't broken down, I haven't uh, broken down every regional, but to me, this is one of the more interesting ones. And I think, I think this is going to be the one that, that you don't see chalk played here. I think the way Oregon State has finished the season has got to be a little concerning to, to Coach Bailey and, and, and obviously the players. But now it's a new season, and they're Oregon State, and they're defending champions. But I think this is the one that's going to be fun to watch because I think there's going to be something interesting that comes out of this. And and uh, uh, I think it's wide open for any of the teams, to be honest with you. I think I like the way Cincinnati's playing at the end of the year. I think they're playing good baseball. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Creighton and what the kind of season they've had. And, and Michigan's got talent and, 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 and finished his second in the Big Ten. So, it's it's a it's a pretty intriguing regional for me, uh, one that hasn't been talked about a lot. Um, but uh, the pairings and what I think is going to happen, what's going to come of this, and 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 uh, so this is one that I'm gonna that I'm gonna watch closely. I think this is one of the more interesting ones. Absolutely, as a Midwesterner, I I do love this. Uh, that that we're getting this this assortment of teams. I I, I think it's a fun one, and Cincinnati, I. I I did not mention this. This is their first trip to the NCAA tournament since 1974. So congratulations to the Bearcats and Coach Scott Guggins uh, for snapping that drought there uh, in in what is uh, Scott Guggins' just second season in Cincinnati uh, after coming over from Xavier, where he had a ton of success with the Musketeers. Moving on, we are going to the Nashville Regional, where number two overall seed Vanderbilt gets Indiana State, which won the Missouri Valley Tournament this weekend, McNeese State, which won the Southland Tournament, and Ohio State, which won the Big Ten Tournament. So three, and Vanderbilt won its tournament as well. So you got four tournament champs. They're all obviously playing pretty well here. I think this is hard for the number two overall seed. I think Ohio State has a terrible RPI, yes. They're like number 130. Uh, but the way they've played down the stretch in the month of May, you know, I, it was against Penn State and Purdue, and they went five and one to get into the Big Ten tournament. And I get the Penn State and Purdue were not good this year, um, but then Ohio State kind of went out and proved it in the Big Ten tournament, doing what they did, um, you know, and finishing it off with a win against Nebraska in front of a huge pro-Nebraska crowd in Omaha on Sunday with 17,000 people. And I would guess at least 16,000 of those were Nebraska fans. So Ohio State getting it done. Indiana State getting it done against Dallas Baptist. Uh, They had to double up DBU to get in. Uh, That's a team with more than 40 wins that we've been talking about, kind of on the edge of the top 25 discussion all year. And they move in uh, in our final one of the regular season at number 25. And then McNeese, uh, kind of a team that we haven't, thought a whole lot about in the Southland, kind of been overshadowed this year by Sam Houston and Southeastern and the story of uh, Incarnate Word, uh, just the way that you know that they've come on this year. But ultimately, it's McNeese that, that prevails down there. But Vanderbilt is absolutely rolling. What I saw from them in the SEC tournament, you know, I, I don't know how anyone is supposed to stop them right now. Um, the way they're hitting and pitching, uh, it's, uh, they, they're an absolute force. Uh, I called them a battleship on Twitter. Um, that's what they are. They're they're just going to be a, really hard for any of these teams to stop. Uh, but Joe, what, what you're, when you look at this, what, what do you think about this regional in Nashville? Yeah, it's definitely a difficult one insofar as it's a pretty flat regional once you get past Vanderbilt in that I think Indiana State, McNeese State, and Ohio State are pretty similar in terms of kind of the prospects of 
of competing in this regional. And I don't know which of the three is going to end up getting to, I mean, assuming Vanderbilt gets there, which I think we all think they will, which team is going to end up taking on the Commodores in the regional final. I would believe every last one of these teams. Uh, I wrote in our little bracket analysis, Ohio State is as one of the toughest four seeds, and, and I stand by that. Uh, the RPI is a little bit misleading. Some of that is Big Ten scheduling quirks. You know, a lot of your metrics in the Big Ten end up being based on who you played and, and just as importantly, who you did not play. But, uh, you know, they obviously have been as hot as anybody. They had to sweep a series with Purdue just to get into the Big Ten tournament and then obviously played there well once they got to Omaha. Andrew Magno has thrown about a million innings last week. Actually, I kid, it's nine and two-thirds. But he's just a workhorse guy in the bullpen. Dominic Canzone could have been the Big Ten player of the year. There's a very good case for that. Uh, Indiana State is interesting to me just because they are one of the few uh, Truman major teams that has the pitching to get through a regional. Tristan Polly is a dude at the front of the rotation, but Colin Libertor and Tyler Whitbread are, are both very, very good. They've got a handful of guys in the bullpen who are all capable of, you know, giving those long multi-inning outings that you typically need in a regional. Um, and that's kind of a little bit of a surprise to me. When I saw that team in the fall, I kind of thought this is going to be a really physical offense and really, really interesting offense. And they were still pretty good. Um, but they just, they kind of looked the part, they look like a football team that just kind of wandered over to the baseball field. Um, and, and I've, you know, I've heard anecdotally from some scouts that they, they feel that way about that offense too. And that, you know, if you, if, if they face a team that is kind of running a little thin on pitching, uh, they can really put a hurting on them. But as far as, uh, you know, what their bread and butter has been, it's actually been more on the mound. And I think they've got enough to get to the regional final and, you know, and put up a little bit of a fight against Vanderbilt. It's a tough task for anybody to be able to pull this off this weekend. But I think Indiana State's going to get, if they get to the end of the weekend, I think they'll have enough left to at least kind of, uh, put themselves in a position to be competitive. Dave, uh, when you look at this, Vanderbilt obviously is the standout. Is, do, you, do you agree with Joe? Is it, Can Indiana State compete, or is, is this kind of just going to be Vanderbilt walking through to Supers? I, you know, when you look at this, you know, as you said, all, all four teams uh, went the route and won their, their conference tournament. So all four teams are going to kind of be equally spent on what the energy they used from the last, the last week of playing games. You know, obviously Vanderbilt is a class. They've been not only a class of the SEC, the class of the country. Uh, I was a little surprised, as Joe said. I, I think there's there's two strong number fours, and I we'll get to one later on. But I think Ohio State's one of the strongest number fours. And as you said, it was surprising that, that they would um, put them against the number two uh, national seed, uh, a, a, a team from the Big Ten that's the strongest uh, number four seed. I you know, I think it's Vanderbilt's bracket to lose so as, a, as a former coach for me because, uh, you know, and Ohio State's a big name and no disrespect to Indiana State or McNeese State, but after what they just accomplished over the course of 30 games, what they just accomplished in the SEC tournament, my only fear if I'm Tim Corbin is a little bit of a letdown from your team because there might not be somebody with an exciting background of success from maybe an ACC league the Pac-12 or the Big 12, and um, that would be my only concern. It's, there's a little bit of letdown for what Vanderbilt's done over the course of the whole season and then how they had to grind through the, the um, SEC championship and come back from a 9-1 to deficit to win that game. That would be my only concern of, of, of for Vanderbilt's sake, uh, but um, I feel they're the class of this, obviously the class of this regional. Now, opposite – of Vanderbilt and the Nashville Regional, we have the Morgantown West Virginia Regional, which is just a wild thing to say uh, when you consider where that program has come from in a pretty short amount of time under Randy Mazie. You have West Virginia hosting this thing as the 15 overall seed, AM coming in at number two, Duke as the three seed, and Fordham, which won the Atlantic 10 tournament uh, in a bit of an upset. Uh, though they were hosting, uh, they are in as the four seed. Uh, now, beyond just the fact that this environment in West Virginia is going to be uh, very interesting to see, that I, I imagine that park is going to be full and it's it's going to be loud and exciting, um, you know, a, a place that hasn't hosted a regional before. Um, you have a pretty dangerous A&M team coming in and you have the potential for an absolutely stellar pitching matchup on Saturday night. If, if um, West Virginia holds Alec Manoa for game two, which they probably will. And no matter how AM lines, it's pitching up, whether it's Dexakis or Azalesi, 
in game two, either one of them against Manoa has the potential to be absolutely electric if AM can get past a pretty scrappy Duke team. Dave, you are going to this regional. What are your thoughts and how wild do you think that the crowd is going to be in Morgantown? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for allowing me to cover this regional because I think it's going to be as exciting. There's, there's great atmospheres all over the country. There's going to be, you know, at, at every venue, there's going to be a, a ruckus and great crowds. But this is going to be very interesting for me to see. You know, you talked about big crowds. I, I think their stadium holds about 4,500 people with standing room. But there's, there's 1.8 million people in that state, and I don't know how they're all going to get in because I know that they're all going to want to get into that stadium. That, that, that fan base is passionate. You said it right. What Coach Maisie has done there uh, was never expected uh, when this program was put in the Big 12. It's been done in a short order. They've got a good team. I've talked about that all year. I was around them last year, obviously, for the year. It's an experienced team. Uh, even though their offense has not been put up great numbers, it's a tough lineup to get through. Alec Manoa is by far one of the best pitchers in the country. But they got a tough opponent. They've got a couple tough opponents in there. And I, I, I really, you know, the A&M team has shut down pitching, and it isn't just their top two. They can go to the bullpen. They've got good arms. Uh, the whole key is going to be how offensive they are. Because even though, like I said, West Virginia hasn't, been an offensive juggernaut like a lot of people expected them to be with their talent they have returning is um, they're going to have to do it against some great pitching and I don't want to look past Duke either Uh, Duke's a good program as we don't have to forget they went into Athens last year as an underdog and came out of that out of that bracket so I'm excited not just because the atmosphere I'm going to witness but I think this is one of the more balanced regionals that's out there and I um you know, not putting anything past Fordham, but no one expects a lot out of them probably. Uh, West Virginia can't look past them. But uh, one, two, and three are going to be pretty interesting, and I think it's going to be a showdown all the way until, I think, Monday in this bracket. Joe, uh, who do you got uh, challenging West Virginia here, A&M or Duke? I think A&M. The name of the game when you get into regionals is staying on schedule pitching-wise, and I think A&M set up to do that the best. Now, Duke does have the pitching depth as well. I'm not discounting that, but my goodness. I mean, even in the SEC tournament when, you know, A&M had a relatively short stay, it wasn't the pitching that was an issue. So um, they can really get it done on that side of the ball, and I think that bodes well for in a regional win. You need to save as much for Sunday as you possibly can. I think they're set up to do that. Um, beyond that in this regional, I would like to give the Fordham Rams content that we all crave. Um, two things on Fordham. One, um, they played A&M first weekend of the season. Uh, they played them uh, in College Station, and they were swept, uh, but they were pretty competitive. The, the Saturday game was a blowout, but they lost the opener 4 to nothing, lost the finale 3-1. to one. Um, And that kind of dovetails nicely with what they do, and that's pitch. Um, they've got a 3.08 team ERA, and there's a couple standouts here. One is a reliever in Anthony Zimmerman, ERA under one on the year in uh, 35 and a third innings. Uh, but then John Stankiewicz in the rotation, 16 appearances, 12 starts, and let's see if these numbers grab you here. 121 ERA and 102 to 15 strikeout to walk ratio in 89 and a third innings. Uh, Anthony Meglio has been pretty good for them, six and three with a 261 ERA. Uh, you know Matt Mikulski's ERA is up around four, but he was one of the guys who threw pretty well against A&M opening weekend. So for one, because of that experience, this isn't a team that maybe is going to be spooked by the moment because obviously opening weekend at Bluebell Park and College Station, that that would be a pretty difficult atmosphere as well. Um, And these guys can pitch a little bit. So, again, I'm with Dave in that the expectations are fairly low, and the most likely scenario is an 0-2 showing for Fordham. Uh, But I don't think this is a team that's necessarily going to roll over here. Every year there's a poor four seed who just, you know, really kind of struggles out of the gate and and goes 0-2 quickly, and and the the scores aren't very pretty. I don't think that'll be this Fordham team. I could be wrong, uh, but they've played in some big games, and they can pitch pretty well. And I kind of like their chances to, to put up a fight here. Alrighty, so moving on, we are going to Atlanta, uh, where the players play and where Georgia Tech is the number three overall seed. They welcome in Auburn as the two. Coastal Carolina, which came back to win the Sunbelt tournament, um, they are the number three. And Florida AM, which uh, won the MEAC tournament, 
what feels like forever ago, but I guess really was just a week ago now. Um, interestingly, here you have Auburn going to Georgia Tech. Those two play home-and-home home, midweek games every year. Georgia Tech went 2-0 and in them this year. Now Auburn gets its weekend arms going, and when Auburn is healthy, its weekend arms are better than what Georgia Tech has, but Auburn is also not particularly healthy right now on the mound, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how that shakes out. Coastal Carolina is hot, having won, you know, the the Sun Belt tournament. Like I mentioned, they have very much scuffled at times during the second half, though, uh, and had to win the Sun Belt tournament to get in. Ultimately, this field or this regional might be super offensive. Georgia Tech is a little banged up on the mound as well. We've talked about that on the podcast before, and Georgia Tech, Auburn, and Coastal Carolina can all swing it. They all have a lot of power in their lineup. Um, I'm excited to see just how many home runs uh, all of these teams can combine for uh, in Midtown this this weekend. But you know, Georgia Tech gets a pretty favorable, as they well should, as the number three overall seed uh, draw here. It's an Auburn team that they've shown they can handle this year, and a coastal team that has been so spotty. It's hard to say you know, what exactly the shots are going to show up like. Obviously, they are battle-tested, um, but it, it, at the same time, they, they've been a, pretty up and down this year. Right now, they're on and up. If they'll be able to hold that into next week, uh, that, that would be the key for them. Joe, when you look at this, um, what you are the, the resident Georgia Tech, uh, I want to say expert uh, or fan, but you're, you're the one that picked them to as your Omaha sleeper at the start of the year. Uh, how are you feeling about that now that they're the number three overall seed? Well, pretty good, given that they, you know, they, they do have the favorable seeding. They got to host. They're going to be a. They are a national seed, so would, um, you know, obviously theoretically get to host a super as well. So feel good from that standpoint. And I really feel good from an offensive standpoint. I mean, they they started out this year as a, as a, an offense with a lot of potential, um, and they showed that. And then really has just kind of gotten better as the season has gone on. I mean. Um, you know, Baron Ratcliffe, I've written about him a couple times in the, the top 25 recaps I've done. That's a guy who they've, you know, just hasn't quite gotten it going in his career until this year. And now he's a big time power bat in the middle of the order. And Michael Goldberg has been a, a key piece there. Jackson Webb has taken advantage of, of his at-bats and has stepped forward. And so they've got a really dangerous offense, even when you figure that Oscar Serratos, who was, you know, expected to be a big part of that, ended up hitting, you know, 246 and, and um, you know, hasn't always been in the lineup. And, um same thing with, with Chase Murray. Um, so it hasn't been easy necessarily offensive for, offensively for them, but they've been able to put the pieces together. Um, where I am concerned is the pitching, and it's not necessarily the high-end quality, because I think the high-end quality has been there. Uh, Connor Thomas has, has been really good of late, uh, but the injuries, Brant Herter lost, Xavion Curry hasn't pitched in quite some time, has kind of thinned them out a little bit. Um, and I think it's taxed some guys, which uh, of course, you know, then, then kind of lowers the quality a little bit. So, that is my kind of my concern there, and I think it's an even bigger concern that they did kind of get an offensive regional. Uh, you know, Coastal Carolina is a team, and I, I wrote this as one of the more dangerous three seeds, just because the one thing you can count on Coastal doing is uh, being physical offensively. They've got 87 home runs as a team, and uh, it just kind of sounds like a recipe if you let Coastal hang around all weekend on you, and you get to the end of the weekend, and you're both kind of out of pitching. Uh, Coastal can keep up with you. It doesn't matter who you are offensively. Uh, you know, Coastal will be able to to at least be competitive and keep up with you a little bit if if everybody is out of pitching. And so I think that's it's a tough draw for Georgia Tech. Ultimately, I'm still going to pick Georgia Tech here. I, I believe in the talent. I, I have all year. No reason to, to jump on it now that they're the number three overall seed. Uh, but that's not going to be an easy regional. It's one of the tougher ones out there. Uh, Coastal being a big part of it. Dave, uh, when you when you look at this, what, what jumps out to you in Atlanta? That it's going to be pretty offensive, and I think that the difference is going to be who's going to be able to have the pitching to be able to shut have more shutdown innings than the other teams. And I know that's a cliche, but I, I think everything for Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech rests on their pitching. I think if they can get some consistent pitching throughout this weekend and the weekend beyond, then they have a chance to, to be in Omaha. Uh, I, I believe they could really swing the bat. I watched them a lot in the ACC tournament. I like their offense. They've been pretty consistently consistent throughout the year. But I think it's, you know, when you put them all together, and Joe said it about Coastal Carolina, I still think that Georgia Tech may have the better offense. So 
but for them to get out of this regional, I think they're going to have to um, they're going to have to pitch um, pretty consistent because, as you said, there's some pretty good offense. And if if Auburn can find some health on the mound, you know they've got good pitching, and it could neutralize some of the offenses in this. But um, I think it's I think it's going to end up being an offensive uh, in that ballpark this weekend. And if Georgia Tech can get some pitching, I, I like uh, their chances moving on. Now, this regional is paired with the Chapel Hill Regional, where North Carolina, 14 overall seed, is hosting. Again, this is another potential all-conference matchup uh, should the seeds hold and Georgia Tech and North Carolina advance. North Carolina welcomes in Tennessee as a two-seed. The Vols break the, the drought, and they are back in regionals. Liberty uh, going to Chapel Hill is the three. Scott Jackson, head coach of Liberty, of course, was an assistant on Mike Fox's staff for several years. He is returning. And uh, the number four seed is UNC Wilmington, also a previous stop for Scott Jackson. But more importantly, UNC Wilmington wins the CAA tournament, uh, and they get to regionals in Mark Scalf's final season as head coach, he has announced he will retire at the end of this season, and that season now continues at least one more week uh, for him. And, and that makes uh, that makes for an interesting dynamic here, uh, as as UNCW is trying to break through to a super. They have been trying to do this for a while, and now they have one last shot to do it under Coach Scalf. I, you know, when you look at this, North Carolina, they went out and they won the ACC tournament this weekend and they swept through it going four and oh um i didn't get to see much of the acc tournament because i was at the sec tournament but a week before that i watched unc lose their lose a home series to nc state and thought that the tar heels were going absolutely nowhere in durham they found a way to regroup and go win that event and now they come into this with some momentum and they by doing by winning the tournament they also you know, got back on the host line, which is is critical for them. And I think pitching is going to be dominant here in this regional. UNC pitches at a high level. Tennessee pitches at a high level. Um, you know, Liberty has some arms. UNCW has some arms. So I think this is going to be, in contrast to the Atlanta regional, which we expect to be pretty offensive, I think Chapel Hill will be pretty low scoring. Dave, you've seen, you know, a fair amount of Tennessee's arms this year uh, and, and obviously have a, a pretty intimate knowledge of that. Uh, of what they bring. I mean, just first of all, what, what does this mean for Tennessee to be back in the tournament? And then do you think they can match up with what UNC has to offer? For the community of Knoxville and all the alums of University of Tennessee, it's, it's fabulous that they're back. It's a, it's a program that, that uh, for whatever reason, uh, for 15 years has been vacant from, from the regionals. Uh, uh, great job by Tony Vitello, Frank Anderson, and, and staff of getting that team uh, back to the regionals. And, I, you know, my only concern with Tennessee in this regional is the fact that they're going to have so much time off from their last game Tuesday at, at Hoover. That's the only thing. You know, baseball is a rhythm sport. And, you know, they, they, you know and we all talk about rest and all that. And you could say, well, NC, University of North Carolina played all the way till the end, and they may be a little tired. I don't know which one to pick on that is, uh, you know, Tennessee's been away. Obviously they've been able to line up their pitching, but what it's, what's it going to be like in game one? And, and, you know, Liberty is, you know, no pushover. I, I have a lot of respect for Liberty. I haven't even seen them play this year, but they went out to the West coast and had a, and won the series against Cal state Fullerton. And um, so it's, it, I think it's a pretty balanced, I think it's a pretty balanced uh, regional due to the fact of, the inconsistencies of North Carolina over the year. And we've talked about that a lot as we've done our top 25. I think North Carolina obviously is a very storied program. Uh, Coach Fox does a great job, but I don't know if they've been real consistent this year. So I think it allows um, these, I think it allows the other three teams a, a wide open slate um, in this, in this bracket. I think it, like you said, it's going to be a pitching bracket. Uh, obviously, It'll be interesting to see what, what Coach Patella does in game one. Does he hold back Garrett Stallings, who by far is their, their go-to guy? And then it'll be interesting to see if Crochet's back. He got hit in the jaw in the, the last weekend series of the year, uh, didn't pitch in the SEC tournament. Whether Garrett Crochet comes back, that's going to be a big deal for, for their pitching staff as they move into this regional. 
Yeah, that that is definitely a storyline to follow. Uh, Joe, what uh, what jumps out to you in Chapel Hill? Yeah, I think that UNC ended up getting a fairly favorable draw here because it is going to be so pitching oriented. Because they they have been a little bit up and down, and, and Teddy, you know this as well, uh, better than I do, given that you're out in that part of the world. But you know they've been fairly inconsistent. They've got guys that you know you like the arms. Ber- I guess I'm thinking of Bergner and Baum in particular, and and it hasn't always been easy for those guys. And there's been that little bit of inconsistency. And I could see, you know, if this has been a scenario where, where for example, it would have been, um, you know, a fairly easy move for them to get Coastal. And I think that would have been tough, um, you know, if they'd have been matched up there because that's a team that could really kind of uh, punish UNC pitching if they're not on their game. And, and with that having been a little bit of a um, a little bit of a struggle sometimes. So I think it's a good regional in that I think they're going to, you know, everybody's going to want to keep scores low. I don't think it's going to be huge offensive outbursts necessarily, especially in the winner side of things. And and when you're keeping scores low and you're kind of keeping games close, that's when being at home and having that type of advantage, I think, can really play into it because when you're working on the margins, something like home field advantage can be that thing that kind of puts you back over the top. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good call, um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays uh, there there at the Bosch. Uh, and I also think experience here is going to matter. UNCW has it; they were in regionals a year ago. Tennessee and Liberty don't. UNC definitely has it. They they played to Omaha a year ago. And there are still kids on that team that know what it's like to lose a home regional, you know, as they did in 2017. So I, I think you have to like the Tar Heels experience and, and how that will play uh, this weekend. Moving on, we've got the Athens regional where it is are your conference USA regular season champs. Florida State is number three. Mike Martin back in regionals for the 40th straight year. Uh, 11, of course, is going to retire at the end of the season. And then Mercer, which was the last automatic bid into the field last night, they uh, finally wrapped up the SOCON tournament. They did it very much the hard way, going through the loser's bracket, needed two championship games to beat Wofford. But they do it, and the Bears are back in regionals. Um, When you look at this, Georgia pitches at an extremely high level. No one else in this bracket has arms even close to matching what Georgia has. Uh, I famously picked Florida State as my national champion coming into the year. Uh, so it's going to be a tough road to hoe for the Knowles uh, to get to Omaha this year and, and make me look really, really smart. Uh, it starts in Athens. And uh, for them to get out of this uh, and give 11 one more shot at a national championship, they're really going to have their work cut out for them. Their, their bats are really going to have to play against Georgia, and they're going to need their pitchers to step up. C.J. Van Eyck did that uh, at the ACC tournament. They're going to need good starts from him and Parrish this weekend. So that that's kind of where they're at. Um, now, FAU is kind of sneakily dangerous, I feel like, here. Uh, we'll see how the Owl or the, yeah, how the, how the Owls are, are playing. Uh, they were playing pretty well in Conference USA uh, in their tournament right up until Southern Miss beat them in the championship game. So what kind of momentum does FAU bring uh, will, will be interesting to see. Joe, what, uh, what, what are you thinking about the Athens Regional here? Uh, don't sleep on the don't sleep on the FAULs. I think that's um, I think there's something to. Uh, it's not the same exact team as it's been. I mean, they had a lot, some turnover on the roster, but I think there is something to being a team that getting to a regional is kind of the expectation. And I wrote about this a little bit when when I did FAU for the for a bubble watch piece earlier this year. Is um, this is a group that just kind of they come into the season kind of feeling like we're going to be in regionals. This is what we do. And I think you saw that with the way they played down the stretch. And so um, I think those kind of that kind of mindset and, and having that year-over-year success is kind of um, something to hang your hat on going into a regional. And you know, FAU has a way of kind of playing well at these things. Let's not forget that they, you know, they push Florida to a seventh game uh, of a regional. I, I seem to remember maybe five, six years ago, they pushed North Carolina to a seventh game of a regional. So they're they're not always going to be the most talented team as a matter of fact they're they're probably not ever going to be the most talented team in a regional when they're when they're a two seed but uh, I really like their team offensively they have more quality offensive players frankly than they have spots in the lineup for them I don't uh feel great about their pitching frankly I mean they I, I like Zach Snyder their closer I like Blake Sanderson their Friday guy, just kind of a battler as a Friday guy 
Um, the pitching depth there is not great, so it's it's pretty important that uh, you know they come out and they pitch well on day one to give them a, a bit of a shot. But um, you know, obviously, like Georgia's chances given given the way they throw the ball. But I think FAU is is one of those teams that just finds a way to play well at not only this time of year but in regionals specifically. And I don't I can't put my finger on exactly why that is, but the, the something about the regional format and just kind of the way that sets up. Maybe it's some sort of grinder mentality or. Uh, something along those lines, but they do seem to play pretty well when their backs are against the wall and when they know that everybody out here is going to suffer and they just have to kind of uh, lean into that suffering and, and getting getting tired and mentally and physically exhausted and trying to stretch this thing out until Monday. Well, Joe, I I think the answer on what 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 the secret for FAU is 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 John McCormick, uh, their their head coach. I, I think he just does a fantastic job there and. As you're talking about that, I, the the coaching in this regional is is exceptional. I mean, you have Scott Strickland at Georgia, the turnaround job he's done there, uh, Johnny Mack, of course, uh, eleven, and then Craig Gibson at, at Mercer does a, a very good job there as well. I mean, Dave, what kind of difference can coaching make in a regional? And when you look at this one, uh, who do you think has the edge in the dugout? First, answer your question about the coaching. Obviously, the experience is a factor, and I again, I, I have respect for all four coaches and in this regional. And um, but really, when it gets to this time of the year, it, it you kind of are who you are, Teddy, to some extent. I mean, if you're an offensive team, you're an offensive team that maybe struggles with pitching. If you're a pitching team, you're a pitching team. If if you know, I, I true the coaches have a lot to do with it as we go on, but. I think it's more about how you're leading your team into the regionals, that calming effect, uh, not making it bigger than, than it is, and allowing your players to play. The players in the, at the end, the players are the ones that are going to determine the fate of, of how far you go. Um, I agree with Joe. I, I, FAU, for me, is a scary one in this one. I, I, uh, I think Coach McCormick does a good job. They've gotten hot. They, they came short of the Conference USA title. But they're a tough, and you know, as much as I was a little critical about the committee and the, some of their choices with the last team or whoever was the last team, they made the absolute right choice with Florida State. And and as we know, they were kind of a bubble team them, themselves. But I think Coach Martin has earned the right that if he was on the bubble or he was even on the other side of the bubble, he's earned the right to finish his career in a regional and see how far he could take his team. And I think it's the absolute right thing. But I say that, on the other hand, I'll say, I have a feeling they're going to have a tough time getting past FAU in, in game one, to be honest with you. I, I have a lot of respect for FAU. Uh, Florida State is young, so they're not going to be that experienced. Their, their program is experienced. Their coach is experienced. But they've got some guys, even though they've played the whole course of the season, it's their first regional for many of those guys in that roster. But um, – Georgia, by far, is the class. I, I think uh, what uh, they've done with their pitching staff and Cam Shepard, their shortstop, is starting to come on more now. He hasn't had a great year offensively. He's had an unbelievable year defensively for them, which has gone hand-in-hand hand with their superior pitching. Um, but uh, I think Georgia's going to be a tough out on this, but don't sleep on, on FAU on this one for me. I will be on hand for this regional. So on a personal note, I want to thank the selection committee for sending Florida State here so that I can uh, see the history as it uh, unfolds here this weekend. Athens is paired with Baton Rouge. Again, potential for an all-SEC super here uh, should the seeds hold. LSU hosting, they're the number 13 overall seed. They get Arizona State and, of course, the Sun Devils, a very powerful offense as the two. Southern Miss is the three, having one conference USA. Um, interesting. If the seeds don't hold, we could get an all-conference USA Super Regional. And I'm sure Joe would, uh, I don't know, walk to Boca Raton. Is, I'm pretty sure Joe would be pretty excited about that if it happened. Um, and number four, Stony Brook. Uh, the America East champs. They are going back to Baton Rouge in what will certainly be talked about all week long. You may remember Stony Brook won the Baton Rouge Super Regional uh, in 2012 on their way to that Cinderella Omaha run. Um, no one on either LSU or Stony Brook obviously was a part of that. So I don't think that's really going to be much of a factor 
uh, in that opening game. There, there's there's going to be nothing to be to be gained from that. Although I'm sure the Seawolves will very much be told about how you know their previous teams uh, you know went in and braved the box and beat LSU and and went to Omaha and they're, they're it's not like they need to be reminded that that happened. Um, but LSU here should have the upper hand. It looks like another pretty offensive regional potentially here, especially that first game between Arizona State and Southern Miss. That that one, I have a feeling a few runs are going to be scored in that game. Dave, when, when you look at this, um, do you see any, any of these teams challenging LSU in Alex Box Stadium? Absolutely. Uh, I think Arizona State does, and, and I'm not taking anything away from Southern Miss or Stony Brook, but I believe in, in Alex Bott Stadium, you take Arizona State's offense, and it's going to be scary. It's going to be scary, the kind of numbers that they have the possibility of putting up, but how hot it's going to be, how the ball flies out of there. I think LSU is going to have to pitch on a different level um, to be able to get through this uh, with ease, because I think I just was looking at the numbers of, of Arizona State, the gaudy numbers that they've put up, and uh, it's going to be pretty scary of an offensive uh, show that they have a chance to put on. Now, I say that, and I'll say this on the other side of it. Arizona State has not been to the regionals for a few years, okay? So that's going to be something that's their first time going to regional, and they're not just going to a regional. They're going to a regional in Alex Fox Stadium, which is a completely different atmosphere to handle. There's nothing in the Pac-12 that prepares Arizona State for what they're about to go see this weekend. So I think that's huge advantage for LSU. And I've said this for many years, whether it was Skip Burtonman or now Paul Maneri, there's magic in that stadium. There was magic in the old stadium. And Arizona State, Southern Miss, Stony Brook, they're all going to have to overcome that magic that seems to be in, invested in, injected into the players when they get to this time of the season. But uh, I think Arizona State's going to be a tough out in this, in, this, in this regional. But they have a tough opponent to get by in round one in Southern Miss, and it'll be interesting to see who can outslug each, each other in that game. Yeah, and it's going to be it's going to, LSU probably has the edge on the mound here. So it's going to have to be pretty offensive. You're going to have to find a way to get to LSU's pitching, which isn't the deepest right now, but the frontline stuff is still very good. Uh, and I'm also very interested to see how Arizona State handles a very different weather environment than what they're used to. There are going to be rain delays in this regional. I feel pretty confident in saying that. And you know, it's going to be very humid. And while they're very much used to the heat, it's different kind of heat in Baton Rouge than in Phoenix, obviously. So kind of some subplots within that. Uh, Joe, what about you? Are, are you are you of the mind that, that Arizona State can challenge LSU here? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, anytime you, you swing the bat like that and then you go play in Alex Box Stadium, which can be an offensive environment, I think you're, you, you've got a real chance there. Um, the, the heat thing is interesting. You ever notice whenever you talk about, like, it being hot out in Arizona, like, the first thing out of anyone's mouth is, but it's a dry heat. Like, but I would argue, like, <laughs> 150 degrees is 150 degrees, but I digress. A um, couple other things that are interesting about this regional is, is uh, you know, Southern Miss may have found something a little bit in that regional with the performance of freshman Gabe Shepard. Uh, I think it was eight, seven or eight no-hit innings, seven and a third, I just looked it up. Seven and a third no-hit innings against Rice. And there's a difference between doing that in a Conference USA tournament against Rice, a Rice team that was, um, you know, just kind of okay this year, versus doing it in a regional against teams that have earned their way there. But at this time of year, you're always kind of looking to find something new or find a piece that you didn't have before. So uh, that's kind of interesting there because with Southern Miss, you know, you know what they're going to give you offensively, but how much pitching depth are they going to have is kind of an open question. And uh, maybe he kind of announced himself as, someone who could help them a little bit this weekend. So that's kind of interesting there. Stony Brook, I think you're right. I mean, it's this is not your father's Stony Brook team. I mean, one of the things that kind of gets overlooked, you know, for, for ca more casual fans is that, I mean, that was a Cinderella story, but that team was very, very talented. Um, they, they had a lot of guys get drafted. And so this is not quite that necessarily. Um, but I, LSU probably was irritated to see them pop, pop up just from the standpoint of now Stony Brook head coach, Matt Sink can kind of look at the guys and say, Hey, this is a special place for this program. You know, this is a place that, um, you know, this program made a lot of memories, had its greatest achievement in this stadium. 
And that's just like a little extra piece of motivation for those guys, something else to kind of get those guys going. Not that they probably needed it, but so if you're LSU, you probably rolled your eyes a little bit. You saw them there because, you know, as a four seed going in, going to LSU, you don't need to give you don't need to give that underdog team any more motivation than they already had. And, and the committee did that by putting them there. Yeah, I uh, I can tell you that early in the season in some projected field, I probably for a couple weeks in a row had Stony Brook going to Baton Rouge. And the response on among LSE fans was kind of amusing. And, you know, when I'm putting these this puzzle together, I'm very aware of things like that because that's just how my mind works. I don't know, you know, the, the committee would tell you they aren't. I don't know whether they are or aren't but it certainly is going to make for a fun talking point for a week. Uh, and, you know, when, this time of year, we can, we'll take all the storylines we can get, I, and I think that's going to be a fun one right up until they start playing, and then it no longer is about what happened in 2012. It's very much about what's happening on the field here. Uh, we are halfway through the field, uh, and we have been at this for about an hour, uh, so we are going to uh, take a break here and... Uh, Remember to be subscribed to the Baseball America College podcast. There is a second part of this episode coming up uh, where we will finish off breaking down the field. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, and you will tune in for that. And uh, so remember to, to subscribe to the Baseball America po College podcast. Remember to check out all the content over at BaseballAmerica.com this week. There is plenty of it coming. There's plenty of it already there, uh, breaking down the field. And uh, remember to follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Dave is at Dave Serrano 11. And Joe is at Joe underscore on underscore sports. We will come back from this break. You will probably be clicking on a new episode at that point. And we'll continue breaking down the field of 64 here, region by region. Uh, we will be starting with Arkansas. So get ready for that uh, and make sure to... Uh, to check that out. So for Dave, for Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll, uh, we'll be back in a second.